The Sermon on the Mount is like the pinnacle of Jesus' teaching. And it's an amazing sermon, and so we're going to look at that. But I have to say, uh, I'm kind of feeling a little intimidated by this particular sermon series. You know how if you're going to, say, sing a song, you don't want to go on after someone who is, like, really, really good? You know, you want them to be sort of okay, but you're just a little bit better, you know? So people, oh, that's not too bad. This is... (laughs) This is Jesus' great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And I have my job is to try to articulate what he had to say and make it meaningful and significant and connect with it. And I got to tell you, I'm usually not intimidated, (laughs) but this is intimidating. So let's pray and let's believe God to get the feel of what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago to those people because those things are true for us today as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to wander around, just do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to see what you've got for us. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of this battle. And Lord, we need a different touch from you. So Father, I pray you would touch each one of us this morning with what we need so that we can understand you better, love you a little more, follow you more effectively, and just be able to grow in our faith. So bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't the first sermon that Jesus preached, but I think, again, it encapsulates the message that he brought, and we'll be covering this over the next several weeks. It'll get us into January. And... uh, um, The first message that Jesus preached is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. John the Baptist came and he preached a message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then John the Baptist got put in prison. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John was put in prison. The message still needed to get out to different places. So Jesus continued the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I'm going to translate that because it sort of has a... a, a we don't talk like that in our culture. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it kind of sounds like a crazy person screaming something, you know. Uh, so I'm going to translate it for you. And here's what repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, means. It means that God has a plan. He's about to do something really cool. And if we get our heart right and we get on board with him, we'll get to be part of it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Not the kingdom of heaven is way over there. The kingdom of heaven is near. And God is going to do something here. And if we get our hearts right, we'll get to be part of it. That's the message. Back then, the amazing thing was that the Messiah was going to be revealed. He was going to die for the sins of the world, for forgiveness, and offer people everlasting life. And they were going to see that before their very eyes. That was the cool thing God was going to do back then. Today, God still 
changes lives, brings us into newness of life, forgives our sins, gives us everlasting life, shows us his ways, help us, helps us to walk in his abundant life. And so there are great things that God is doing even now. And if we get our heart right, we'll get to be part of it. So that message still rings true today. Jesus preached this message and then he did amazing miracles. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. This is the kingdom of heaven coming down on earth. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So Jesus did amazing miracles. He showed the power of God. He dealt with people with the problems that they had. He brought healing. He brought deliverance. He brought God's power into people's lives. And people from all over came. He got their attention. And then he had something to say. And the thing he had to say was the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus began to teach. The three parts of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at this morning are the Beatitudes, the salt and light part, and being called to a higher standard. Those three pieces, just the first part of chapter 5, is what we're going to look at. And as I was doing some research on the Beatitudes, how many people have heard of the Beatitudes? Raise your hand if you know what a Beatitude is. Because that word specifically isn't in the Bible. It's just the description of these first 12 verses, 9 to 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And it's the Beatitude, that word comes from the Latin word for happy. Uh, happy are you when this. It's, the, it's happy. So I just learned that this morning. I <laughs> looked it up. And uh, also the Beatitudes are these, these blessings that Jesus is proclaiming is part of uh, what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 4. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 61, and it's going to set the stage for the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So Luke 4, starting in verse 16, Jesus says this, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So Jesus went to church just like everybody else. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners is declared. 
And Jesus was reading in Isaiah chapter 61. Let's read that a little bit more in depth. It's kind of summarized here in Luke. But Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, this is what he was reading. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So there's happiness for the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness For the prisoners, the captives and the prisoners have hope. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so Jesus is saying this is fulfilled. I don't know if he read the whole chapter, how long he read. We just saw a little snippet uh, in Luke. But Jesus is referencing Isaiah 61 and he's saying this scripture is now fulfilled This is the day it's going to happen. And so when we see the Beatitudes in light of Isaiah 61, Jesus is proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom to the captives. And here we see it in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And also, as we look at the Beatitudes, look at it from two perspectives. The first perspective, Jesus is showing us the character of his followers that Jesus wants. Our heart condition. Here is where our heart should be. And he's also showing us that there's more than what meets the eye in our life. That God is there with us. And we may be going through a struggle. We may be uh, mourning. We may be in that place of, of captivity. But God sees us and he will be with us and bless us and encourage us through that. So Matthew 5 Verse 1, we're going to read all the way through verse 12, and then we'll look at a few details in the middle of it. Uh, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's look at these verses, a few of them one by one, because some of these can be a little bit confusing. The first time you read them, Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. What does that mean? You know, blessed are the pathetic. What, what does this mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the word poor there that's translated from the Greek could literally be translated beggar. 
Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, I'm scratching my head on that. And let's look at Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. We'll get an idea of what Jesus is saying here. Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus just sort of proclaims something, but he doesn't explain everything. But he explains a lot of these concepts in other parts of his teachings in the scriptures. And here's an explanation of, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. One of my very favorite verses. Have you ever noticed that there are people who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else? Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be done. We've got it the right way. Those other people are terrible. Oh, my goodness. And, they have, and there's all kinds of different like, forms of that. But man, confident of their own righteousness and looking down on everybody else. Jesus is not in favor of that. So he tells this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the the high-level, highly intense Christians of the day. I mean, they were Jewish, but uh, they were the followers of God that were very, very intense. They did everything exactly to the letter of the law, and they were highly motivated, worked very, very hard. A Pharisee went to pray, and a tax collector. The tax collectors, basically, they made their money by ripping people off. They were not viewed very highly by non-tax collectors. And so there was a Pharisee, the upper crust of the religious society, and a tax collector, the, uh, the kind of bottom of the barrel, disliked type of person in that society. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Aren't I awesome? So, now, is fasting twice a week a good thing? Sure, if God calls you to it. This is a guy, he spent a lot of time in prayer. Is giving a tenth of all you get a good thing? Absolutely. This is a giver. This is a person who is, who is helping others. And he's pretty happy about himself in the midst of it. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's this. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So back to Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come humbly before God, and we know we do not deserve his mercy, we know we do not deserve his love, but we ask for it anyway. His mercy falls upon us. His love falls upon us. And he lifts us up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 4, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Where's the blessing in this verse? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The blessing isn't so much in the mourning, but in the fact that there's a comforter. There is a comforter that sees the person mourning, that loves the person mourning, that cares about their situation and is willing to go and comfort. We have a comforter in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So meek, that's the same as When Jesus came in riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday, it's described as being meek. He wasn't all pompous and amazing. He's riding on a donkey, uh, the king on a donkey, meek. Also, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, it's verse 29, but let's read 28 through 30. This description of meek is in there too. Come to me, Jesus says, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That gentle is meek. It's the same word. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I don't know exactly the timing of that. I don't know if this is a reference to the afterlife or if the meeker you are, the more land you get. It doesn't exactly seem like that's how it goes all the time. But uh, the promise is when we have a humble heart, a gentle spirit, that God's blessings flow. Matthew 5, verse 6. Very important verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst For righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I heard years ago somebody say, everybody has as much of God as they want. If you wanted more of God, God would give you more. I thought about that for a while. It seems a little weird. But, blessed are those who hunger and and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Have you hungered and thirsted for righteousness and had God meet you where you were? What do you do if you're not hungry or you're not thirsty? Have you ever not been hungry and thirsty for righteousness? I'm the preacher guy. (laughs) If I've been there, probably so has everybody else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How do you build your appetite? How do you become thirsty again? I tell you, taste of this and you will want more. Connect with God. Find out His ways. Put His ways into practice and see what happens. If you've gotten bored and complacent with your faith, grab hold of a deeper part of the things of God and you will see something worth fighting for. 
you will become hungry and thirsty to see it happen again. When you see a life changed, when you see God show up and do something, you want to see that more and more. Maybe a bit of an acquired taste, but reach out for the things of God. Be filled and you will hunger more for those things. Verse 7. Jesus talks about this more later, so we're not going to cover it much today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God wants us to be merciful, and he will return our mercy to us. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is a verse that stops me in my tracks every time I read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who wants to see God? Amen. There's a process that's described here to purify our hearts, to get our hearts right before God, allows us to be able to connect with the things of God and to see the hand of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Jesus talks about this more later in the sermon as well. But do you think the opposite would also fall in line? That an impure heart will not see God. We need to purify our hearts, reach out to the Lord, and then we will be able to see things through his eyes and see his hand on this earth. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Amen. We are called to be peacemakers. We just did a nine-part series called The War, Living Life on the Front Lines. And so now we read a verse that talks about us being peacemakers. Well, we're peacemaker warriors, amen? We war for peace. We war for the love of God. We war for the grace of God. That's what we fight for. And there is a battle. Now, the very next verse, verse 10, talks about difficulties that come even to the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we are peacemakers and we are uh, blessed by God because of it, that doesn't mean you aren't persecuted and in the middle of a battle. That's how that works. In fact, Jesus describes that rather strongly in Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. And so look at this. Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. How many motivational posters have that verse on them? You know, I mean, this is an unusual verse. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. But here we get what he means. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Is it possible that your religious beliefs may cause problems with people in your circle? That's what Jesus is saying right here, is that it may not always be smooth sailing. There may be difficulties, even with the people in your own family. Don't think it's all going to work out smooth. But you be a peacemaker as much as you can. If you're persecuted, still be a peacemaker. We are the ones that are to bring peace into that situation, even if we are persecuted. 
So Jesus talks about all these things, all these blessings, all this goodness of God and the ways that we are to act and that God's hand will be upon us when we do things like that. And then Jesus continues and he says something to the masses. Now, Jesus sat down on the mountainside and the terrain over there is just like there's natural amphitheaters all over. So Jesus could speak and thousands of people could hear him without any microphones or anything. The topography over in the Holy Land is amazing. God, I think, built that part of the earth so that these messages could go forth without there needing to be electricity and things like that. Because over here in the woods, how are you going to talk to a thousand people? This is just not going to happen. Uh, but over there it can happen. And, and it's, it's amazing. And so Jesus says a particular thing to the big group. Now they're ones that believe in him. They trust in him. But Jesus isn't talking to the pastors. He's talking to the masses, to the followers. And this is what he says to them. It was true then, it's true now. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. So Jesus said that to the group back then. We're reading what he said. I'm reading it to you. And so this isn't written to the pastors. It's written to everybody. You are the salt of the earth. This is for the believers to understand. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Have you ever felt trampled? Looks like we got two options. Trampled and salty. We want want to stick with salty, right? And we'll talk about what that means because I think some people also misunderstand what that means. But let's read the next couple of verses and put this together. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. I've said before, tongue in cheek, of course, that this was God's biggest mistake to make us the light of the world. Why would he put his glory, his truth, his love in our hands to share with other people? We are not going to handle that right. And it's going to get, you know what I mean? It's going to get tainted. People are going to see things that aren't of God because they're going to see human frailty, human failure, human mistakes. But it's God's plan. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't talking about hypocritical good deeds to try to manipulate the group. He discusses that later in the Sermon on the Mount. But what Jesus is saying is that it's okay to do nice things for people and to let them know that God loves them and to help them see the goodness and grace of God because we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, what does salt represent and what does light represent? I think light is pretty simple. Truth. Being able to see God's hand. We are the bearers 
of the truth of God to this world if we are believers in Jesus. It's our responsibility to understand and share the truth of God. We are the light of the world. That's a heavy burden. And you are the salt of the earth. In Old Testament times, in the, to the people that Jesus was talking to, salt was seen as a preservative and it had a symbolic meaning of timelessness, of being, being a preservative in a spiritual sense. The Old Testament talks about everlasting covenants of salt. So they would put salt on something to say, this is going to last. This is going to endure. And so we are the salt of the earth. We are the light unto the world. Means we are the ones who are to preserve the truth of God. Preserve God's ways and represent God to this world. That's what being salt and light means. Let's us be the ones who honor and preserve the ways of God. Don't resist The ways of God. Happy is the person who does things God's ways. Don't resist the ways of God. Let's be the ones who honor and preserve the ways of God. The Beatitudes, salt and light, and now Jesus raises the bar. you know we are called to a higher standard in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Jesus raises the bar. We'll see some examples, specific examples of that in the weeks to come. But I want to ask you this question before we read these next few verses. Are you willing to rise to his standard or Do you want to try to pull Jesus down to your standard? I see that a lot. You know what? If you, uh, I was a manager in a in a business one time, and uh, I noticed that there were certain employees that wanted to be able to do everything that everybody else did wrong. You know what I mean? Well. But so-and-so takes a break every hour. Oh, but this person calls in sick once a week. Oh, but that person doesn't do this part of the job. And so they want to do all the negative things of everybody they've seen and put them on themselves and be the worst possible employee they could be and be justified in it. And I see Christians doing that with their service to Christ. Well, but this person doesn't do this. That person doesn't go to church. This person doesn't give. That person doesn't serve. I can not go to church and not give and not serve, and I'm just as good as everybody else. Let's not look at all the negatives in the followers of Christ and try to have all of those characteristics ourselves piled up and distilled in us. Let's rise to his standard instead of trying to pull him down. So... Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We'll read 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Did Jesus come to abolish the law and the prophets? No, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. We're going to talk about that in the next two minutes, hopefully. (laughs) I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, is he clear? Saying, I'm not getting rid of the Ten Commandments. I'm not getting rid of the ways of God. I'm fulfilling the Ten Commandments, fulfilling the ways of God. Verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the Pharisees earlier, and they were the ones that were the super highly motivated, praying all the time, giving a tenth of everything. They were the ones that were at the top of the religious culture. And Jesus says, if your righteousness doesn't surpass them, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. How does our righteousness surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees who had the letter of the law down? Well, they had the letter of the law down, but they didn't have the spirit of the law down. They had legalistic righteousness down, but they didn't have the heart of God. They understood how to follow each rule very specifically, but they didn't understand how to have the character described in the Beatitudes. How to be gentle and humble. How to be merciful. Jesus isn't looking for legalistic, religious followers. Jesus is looking for humble Gentle, merciful, pure peacemakers who hunger and thirst for God's ways and who will persevere when other people don't understand them. If we grab hold of that, that's how our righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law. You may not understand the Bible as well as these scholars did. You may not be able to follow the rules as perfectly as these ones who understand everything. But if your heart is humble and gentle and merciful and pure and a peacemaker who hungers and thirsts for God's ways and who can stand through the difficult times, that is what makes a person's righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray here in just a minute. Jesus wants our hearts, not legalistic behavior. Jesus doesn't want us to be going through the motions, but have our hearts far from him. He wants us to have our hearts in line with him. And so Jesus takes the law out of the realm of legalistic behavior into the realm of the heart. And when Jesus finds people 
that have a heart that's humble and gentle and merciful and pure and a peacemaker that thirsts for God's ways and is able to persevere. When he finds people with hearts like that, he brings them into his kingdom. What about for the rest of us? (laughs) What about you and me? Well, let me tell you this. When Jesus finds people who want to be like that, and they know they're not, like the tax collector that we read about, he breaks off the darkness from them and makes them new. Day by day, piece by piece, it's a process that we work through. But when he finds someone that wants to be like that, He breaks off the darkness. If you want to have a heart after God, I tell you, you are in line with God's will. And he wants to help you get that heart. That's what Jesus is preaching about. That's what uh, being born again is talking about. That's what we want is not religious legalism but the true love of God in our hearts, the true mercy of God in our hearts, the true gentleness of Christ in our hearts so that we can share that with the world. And if you want that, let's pray and ask God to break off the parts, the darkness in us, the calluses on our hearts, all those things that stop us from grabbing hold of God's ways. Because we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And we need to be in line with God's heart. Let's pray for that as a group. Then I'll invite people up for individual prayer. We've got the prayer teams up here. God moves when his people pray. doesn't matter what your prayer need is. Come on up to the, to the teams. You want to start a relationship with Jesus? Come on up, get prayer. If you need a... You need a financial miracle, a healing miracle, a relationship restored. You need more perseverance and patience, whatever it might be. You just need encouragement. Come get prayer. Let's pray together first. Let's be the people who want to walk in God's ways and then let him work in us to bring us there. Heavenly Father, we come to you poor in spirit. We come to you knowing that your standards are high, that your standards aren't behavioral standards. They're not legalistic, religious standards. Your standards are heart standards. And we know you see everything. You see the condition of our heart. You know where our love is at. You know where our gentleness is. You know where our mercy is at. And Lord, you love us anyway. Hallelujah for who you are. Thank you for being so merciful that you overcome even our darkness. But Lord, we want to walk in your ways. We want to know your truth because we know there are blessings there. Your ways are good. But we don't always see them. We don't always understand them. We we can't always grab hold of them. So Lord, help us. Help us to represent you the right way. 
Help us to have your love in our hearts, your peace, your joy. Lord, that we can walk in your ways. We can know who you are. Help us to be pure so we can see you. Break off the darkness. Lord, set the captives free. Let your favor fall upon us. Praise be to your name. I pray a blessing over each person in this place right now. Lord, in in this room, in kids' areas, Lord, everywhere. Lord, let your light shine upon us that we may reflect it to this world. Let your mercy hit us so we may share it with this world. Let your love fall upon us and overwhelm us that we may share it with anyone who's unloved, who's never been shown mercy, who's never seen your light. Lord, let it be. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.